If the season starts, they don't want it to stop. There should be no penalties on goalies. Uh, Every goalie should turn into Billy Smith. There are moves that are being made purely because of dollars and cents right now. It's either smiley face or it's that, you know, semicolon with the parenthesis to look like a winky smiley face. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice Newsday's New York Islanders Podcast, episode 58. Hi, I'm your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday. I'm on Twitter at A Gross Newsday. And in this episode, as I said, episode 58, we'll be talking to Dr. Joel Maxey of Drexel, a sports economist, just on what exactly uh, the future of the NHL might be for this upcoming season in terms of when or if. And I, I think the question of if will have to come into play at some point. Uh, will there be a 2021 NHL season? And uh, also, we'll talk a little bit about uh, Anders Lee, uh, who did a Zoom call with the media, sort of a end-of-season access, even though the uh, season is, I guess, we're, we're looking at uh, almost a month, uh, more than a month old uh, since the season ended. But Anders Lee uh, uh, had some thoughts on uh, next season and uh, what was going on with the Islanders. Uh, uh, I'll go over a little bit of that, and then, of course, at the end, we'll uh, answer some Andrew's uh, some questions on Twitter uh, via Andrew's answers. And uh, but before we get to that, uh, as you know, I, I hope everyone is staying safe and staying healthy as uh, COVID seems to be uh, rearing its head uh, ugly again. So. Uh, like I said, stay safe out there, everybody. But uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't start with this, which is uh, Mike Doc Emmerich, uh, the great uh, broadcaster and uh, great person and uh, great friend, um, announced uh, this week that he would be stepping away from the microphone um, to enjoy some retirement at age 74. And uh, you, you saw on Twitter, thank you, Doc, uh, trended. I think more than anything else on Twitter trended that day um, and, and well-deserved. Uh, Doc is just an absolute treasure, both, uh, you know, for hockey fans and, uh, who, you know, get to listen to him on the NBC and before, you know, uh, also, you know, a longtime New Jersey Devils broadcaster, Um Anyone who's listened to Doc just knows how much better he made any game you were watching. Uh, uh, just a complete wordsmith master, uh, if there is such a word. I mean, he Doc would be able to tell you what he was better than I could, but uh, his his mastery of the English language in describing stuff, and and also his mastery of his voice. Um, you know, inflections. Uh, the humor, um, you know, not over-talking the game in a way. I mean, he let the emotions of the game speak for themselves. You know, when when it was called for, he could raise his voice and, and, and show that excitement. But it wasn't a 100% all the time with Doc. 
you know, uh, you you could really tell how the game was going when Doc was calling it. And uh, but but beyond that, the reason that Doc is is so celebrated and 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 was so celebrated um, when his retirement was was made official and announced is because as, as great a broadcaster as Doc is, and, and I will all, always think of him as a broadcaster, even though he's retired, I will always use the present tense for Doc. Um, as great of a broadcaster as Doc is, and, and he's a Hall of Famer, and he's, you know, it, it's really him and Vince Scully, I would think, is, you know, if there's a Mount Rushmore here, um, you know, those two are really... Uh, you know, I think head and shoulders, um, the, the the greatest broadcasters really of our time, of our generation. Um, but a, a, as good a broadcaster as Doc Emmerich is, he's, you know, if you ever got to meet him, even for three minutes, you would you would realize he is a much better person than he is a broadcaster, if if that's humanly possible. I mean, uh, my my best memories of Doc are just sitting in the stands with him, you know, a bunch of people or one-on-one, um, you know, watching a morning skate and just talking hockey, talking life, just talking with Doc. And, you know, he was a never above the fray. He was always a part of the group. And, you know, the thing that that I loved about Doc is, you, you know, a bunch of us reporters would be watching a morning skate, taking notes, noting the, the line and defense combinations, and Doc would come down and sit there, and, you know, and, and you'd get into a conversation with him, and you know for a broadcast, Doc put in more work than than you could imagine, and yet he sat there, and, you know, he he would make it seem like you were instructing him on the team. You know, he, he he would, you know, ask questions about the team and and it would just seem, you know, I would realize at the end, I was like, you know, I, I know Doc knows <laughs> almost everything I just told him. But, you know, he, he just had this way of uh, in, engaging in conversations and everything was always an even playing field with Doc. And, you know, he'd, he'd always ask about family and, you know, a lot like Lou Lamarillo is in a way. And I know those two work together for a long time. But, you know, whenever you get into a private conversation with Lou, uh, not on the record, it, it invariably touches upon how your family's doing and how his family's doing, you know, just normal kind of human stuff. And and Doc, just the same way, just uh, could not have been a kinder person, always generous with his time. You know, I'm happy for Doc because he's he's going to enjoy retirement. And, uh, you know, I know NBC is going to let him contribute, uh, you know, some video essays or but, you know, Doc is going to be able to take a deep exhale and, and, and relax and enjoy some time with his family. And uh, I'm very happy for him. I'm very sad for the rest of us who won't get to see Doc around the rinks uh, with with the same frequency. But uh, like I said, I, I would be remiss 
uh, w- without mentioning Doc and and wishing him all the best and his family all the best and, and just thanking him for for years of friendship and, and and just camaraderie and just just absolutely being the best and uh, Doc here's to you and uh, hopefully uh, talk to you very soon um, and speaking about talking we we did get to talk to Anders Lee like I said on a uh, on a Zoom call. Um, go over the season and and Andrews did give his thoughts about you know how the season ended you know game six of the Eastern Conference Finals against Tampa Bay Lightning and uh, that's as far as the Islanders have made it since 93 and actually in 93 they only made it five games uh, against the Montreal Canadiens in the Canadian in the conference finals so Islanders get a little bit further in 2020 than they did in 1993 but still you know Andrews was talking about the the sting that's going to linger from this you know he said it's a sting that he'll be able to handle and there was a lot to be learned and you know however you slice it this season was a special one um you know and that's sort of good and bad he mentioned how long it took to complete this season <laughs> you know, with 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 the break for uh, COVID nineteen, um, but also just you know the the special feelings that went with the season and this run and the time in the bubble and 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 all that will be special. And he said it was a season you know that that would never be forgotten. And I think that is absolutely for sure. But what what I found interesting, and this will lead into my my chat, which I'll play for you in a couple of minutes with Dr. Joel Maxey of uh, Drexel, the sports economist. Um, the Vegas Golden Knights owner, uh, Bill Foley, in a, in a radio interview uh, in Las Vegas last week, uh, he was very specific in saying he did not, think the season would start until February 1st, and obviously Gary Bettman and company or, or, you know, the NHL and the NHLPA came out with the joint statement saying they were pushing for January 1st. Uh, The Vegas owner says might be February 1st. Um, he, He publicly said what has been speculated that with the U.S.-Canada border closed to non-essential travel, uh, he foresees an all-Canadian division with those seven teams. Um, but, but, but the most important thing he said was without fans in the stands, he did not see how the NHL could play a season. Uh, the, the, the financial losses would just be too much for too many owners, and he did not think the owners would go for a season and, you know, and not just, you know, a few fans in the stands. He, you know, Bill Foley was talking about you need 40 to 50% of capacity before you can really start talking about making a viable financial go of it in the NHL. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know when 40 to 50% of capacity is going to be, uh, you know, feasible. Um, and he also said, you know, playing in a bubble again for the regular season would be, you know, financially unfeasible for the owners. And, and I think it would be just 
uh, unfeasible for the players who, who do not want to leave their families for, for that amount of time. So you kind of left a, at a, well, how is this going to work? And, you know, Anders Lee was asked about that, and he's he said he's not at that level of concern yet where he doesn't think there's going to be a next season. He's obviously started his preparations and, and is looking forward to the next season uh, with the Islanders whenever that starts. But I, I, I thought the most interesting thing Anders said was that the next season it would start, but it would have to be at the right time for the owners, for the players, and for the fans. And I think that, you know, that that's kind of a hint that uh, I, I don't think this January 1st date is going to be met because uh, I don't think that's going to be the right time to bring fans back into the arenas. And, you know, for for the players... Uh, it also has to be a safe environment. And, and, you know, you see what's going on in the NFL where it seems like every different day there's a positive COVID test uh, with a different team. And, uh, you know, the, the schedule has been impacted. And the NFL is, you know, the NFL, let's give them some credit. They are doing as good a job, you know, as maybe can be expected outside of a, a bubble environment. But still, uh, you see the rising risks uh, that the NFL is dealing with. And, and who knows if they're, they're able to play a, a complete season. Uh, they, may, they might have to shorten it. And, and I think Anders is saying that, uh, you know, if the season starts, they don't want it to stop. Um, but certainly the, the players in the NHLPA are going to be, you know, heavily involved, uh, obviously, in the, in the return to play discussions and, and player safety and family, you know, the families of the players, the safety for them uh, has to be at the forefront. And obviously there, there are going to be some financial discussions as well, because if you don't play an 82 game season and, and the Vegas owner, Bill Foley was talking, you know, 48 to 56 games, then you're also talking about, you know, prorated salaries, and and we saw what happened uh, in baseball when when you got to that point. Uh, it took baseball and MLB forever to figure out the financials and finally get a sixty game season. And and there were a lot of uh, uh, you know ang- there was a lot of anger there in those negotiations. So uh, uh, I'm, that's not me saying that I think that's how it's going to go with the NHL. I'm just saying that it's not just uh, oh okay on this date we start. Um, there are going to be a lot of negotiations and a lot of factors that go into it. And as Anders pointed out, it's going to have to be right for everyone uh, to sign off on it. And I, I don't think that's uh, going to be a simple process. Uh, but again, Anders uh, not yet going or not going uh, to where he has concerns about there's not going to be a season. It's just uh, when will that season start? Uh, you know, we're mid-October right now, and if you're asking me, I don't think there's any way they're playing on January 1st. Um, but to, to to go over, you know, some of the, uh, you know, different possibilities and, uh, um, you, know, you know, what may or may not happen and, and the financial uh, 
implications of all of this. Uh, I reached out to uh, Dr. Joel Maxey, like I said, a sports economist at Drexel uh, in Philadelphia. He's the the department chair of their sports business uh, department. And uh, Dr. Maxey sort of went over what the NHL may or may not need to do to to get going here. So uh, um, I hope you enjoy this chat with Dr. Maxey. And I'm joined with by uh, Dr. Joel Maxey, a uh, sports economist in the department uh, head of sports business and professor of general business at Drexel. And Dr. Maxey, uh, thanks so much for taking the time. Um, I guess the question is a simple one. Um, what do you see as kind of the the future here uh, in terms of the NHL in these pandemic times? They got through one season. What do you see for next season at this point? Well, thanks for having me. I, it, I, I think right now we're in this real uh, period of uncertainty where uh, they've sort of, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's ever been any precedent for this in, in our in our major league sports where they're hoping, I mean, I think they announced first that they try to start the season in December and now that's been pushed to January, but there's there's really no indication about where we'll be or where either um, the U.S. or Canada will be in regard to the, the pandemic. So there's all these sort of uh, concerns or fears right now that the winter season will increase the, the problems in terms of the spread and so forth. So I don't know where that leaves sports. I, 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 the, the situation is, of course, when you have indoor arenas like you have for, for the NBA and the NHL, uh, with large crowds packed together, that's a pretty dangerous situation. So even if uh, even if they could open up or were allowed to open up, I think you'd have a lot of reluctance from fans on going, and uh, probably it'd be a situation like you see with the NFL right now, where fifteen percent or twenty five percent, whatever they think is safe for arenas, and. Man, that's hard for an NHL team to, uh, especially the NHL, where they're so dependent on on stadium revenues, it would be really hard for them to make a go of that, I think. So um, it's a real wait-and-see game, uh, and I expect the league and the teams are really battling with the uncertainty of just not knowing how they they would pull off this season and... uh, um, so that's that's where we are. Uh, you know, you you've been hearing privately probably for a little bit that if they can't get fans into the building, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. But uh, the, the the Vegas Golden Knights owner Bill Foley comes out and says that on record the other day that you know he doesn't he thinks a lot of owners would balk at a season without fans in the stand. And I guess if you're saying it publicly, it's probably been discussed privately for a long time. Yeah, I would expect so. I mean, I, I don't think that there's any question that the NHL business model is, is more, definitely more than any of the other major sports dependent on the stadium revenue, the gate and the other stadium revenue. They, they just don't have the same level of national TV contracts. Uh, and and uh, in, in some cities, the regional sports contracts are pretty good for TV, but in others, not so much. So, so the bottom line is they have uh, less... Uh, TV revenue than the other leagues, so they're really dependent. So I'm sure that that's been discussed. And uh, the question um, that that the Vegas owner puts up, and I'm glad you forwarded or forwarded me that information that he made that quote. But is is that um, it would be hard for the NHL teams to to make it or to do another season? And I think he also said we really can't do a bubble again. That that's not feasible to have the 
uh, all the teams in one area where uh, where you're just doing a double minute for TV. What What do you think? I mean, we I guess we know what the financial impact or result would be if they can't get fans in the stand. But what What does it do for the league? You know, in terms of a financial hit or bomb, if they can't play next season, you know, they 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 lost a season to the lockout in oh five oh oh four oh five, and they came back, you know, relatively strong from that. But th- this is a little bit of a different animal. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, and you're right. So I guess the one thing you could compare it to is that they they did forego a season uh, fifteen years ago, uh, and I, I think that the distinction there is that they I mean it's really a finance situation so you're looking long term and they could give up a season knowing that they got uh, a labor agreement that was very much in their favor so you could make the financial calculations on that basis so uh, I guess the answer is yes uh, they can come back after giving up a season Uh, however how much would that in this situation and and I, I think that the real question here is, so, so they had a pretty certain situation to come back to, a brand new labor agreement that was favorable to the league in, in 2006, and this time, uh, it's not sure what they'll come back to. So so even if by 20, uh, 21, 22, say a whole year ahead of now, if things are back to so-called normal, you still might have a reluctance on fans to come back to stadiums. Uh, there still may be issues, uh, maybe people have moved on to other other things in terms of entertainment. So so I think there's a lot more uncertainty this time around. I know I've rambled, but I guess my answer would be, yeah, uh, they could forego a season. It's been clearly been done before, but I think the issue this time is that there's a lot more uncertainty as to what will happen if they do that. If you were consulting the NHL, what would be your advice to them at this point? Uh, my advice would be... Don't pay me to consult for you because I don't know anything. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, that's a good. I mean, that's a really good question. I, I mean, I think they're probably weighing these things, the, the same things that would be kind of on my mind in these means. Like, like obviously, their best situation would be to um, go back and play in front of fans, but things beyond their control might not allow them to do that. So, I guess I would say, well. Let's, let's be as prepared as we can to do the best that we can, but probably understand that, I mean, that, that, that we may not be able to play this year uh, or it might play in a very limited way again. And I guess then you would think, well, what, what can we do to uh, best ensure that we're able to come back long-term? Because it still is a long-term situation. The league's been here for 100 years almost, so it's a lot. I mean, it's certainly a well-established business uh, and, and sports league, so I think they probably would need to um, make the uh, insurances and moves to, to make sure that once this is over, they can come back strong. I don't know exactly what those are, though. Yeah. Did you uh, did you spend a lot of time watching the, the postseason, you know, played in a bubble? And if so, what do you think, you know, what were the positive effects for the league uh, you know, both financially and otherwise, being able to complete that. I did, of course. I mean, I'm in Philadelphia, so I watched a lot when the Flyers were still in, uh, and, uh, and and I did watch the, 
all, all those games with the Islanders. Uh, un- unfortunately, the not not such good news for us as as you guys out there. But uh, and and then I uh, wasn't as quite as interested in the teams that went in, in Tampa and uh, Dallas in the finals. But I caught a little bit of it. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think a, a couple things that it, it was probably good just to maintain their exposure. It, it's of course a, a strange time of the year for hockey, but I think uh, they had a national. TV audience and, and, and that's helpful. Um, the the other thing at the time the the in in March when things hit for the NHL and uh, and uh, NBA they had a, a good chunk of their regular seasons in anyway so so they've gotten uh, you know three quarters or so of the, of the Gaten Stadium revenues that are really important. So, so that that was really helpful to them, as opposed to say baseball, and and now the NFL, where they're lo- losing all that. They don't they don't have that. So, so they earned a lot of the revenue that they would earn anyway ahead of time. So, I think it was important for them to still maintain national TV, even though it was in the summer fall, and uh, and uh, get in front of the national audience, and probably really important just for for the sake of, uh, of the aesthetics to crown a champion and have a normal playoff. So I think that part of it was all good. I, I sort of agree with the idea that the Las Vegas owner said, though, that, that doing this again for a whole season, that, that's a whole different situation. You're, you're talking about starting at zero with gate revenues and stuff and not earning any of that and uh, housing teams away from their home cities and all of that. So that seems like a, a pretty insurmountable type of situation that they really couldn't couldn't do that again but yes pretty important to finish it up i think hey, do, do you would you characterize the the nhl really as being between a, a rock and a hard place right now or do you do you see a path of a path out of this for the league yeah i mean it, it, it's definitely a difficult situation i i think that the problem for the league and 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 really all the all the live sports situations is that there's just so much uncertainty about this upcoming season that, that they really are at the mercy of of uh, what happens with the pandemic in general, and then what the the laws are, and then what people's attitudes are, even if even if uh, events are allowed. Uh, I, I do think, though, that it, it even. In, at, at worst, it should be a short-term situation, so there might be significant losses again next year. But, I mean, really, hopefully, I think everybody expects one way or the other that we, you know, that there's a vaccine developed or some or cure, whatever it is, that that things are going to be fixed to get back to a, uh, a reasonably normal situation, and not maybe not this year for sure, but by uh, by the following year. And and I expect there may be some shakeouts of there may be some changes but but the league should be strong enough to get back on its feet uh, and it's a it's a major league so uh has a big fan base so i, I would expect they can weather it although there's probably going to be some casualties in the meantime well yeah i mean i i was going to ask you you know once we get back to whatever normal looks like when you know the new normal comes around how quickly you know, financial health will, you know, will reach not just the NHL, but I guess sports in general. I mean, do you expect a, a quick bounce back in, in that regard? <laughs> yeah, that's that's so hard to say. Uh, I think, I mean, that that could happen, but it's, it's a situation where it's kind of an unprecedented 
we haven't really seen this before. So a lot of what, I mean, I think this is true. A lot of what will happen with sports bouncing back depends on how quickly the economy in general bounces yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. So you have all these things. So, so I mean, sports is discretionary income. It's entertainment. So if if the economy doesn't bounce back very quickly and people are struggling to you know to make ends meet to pay rent and buy groceries and those things, uh, that's that has to hurt sports. Um, but if the economy bounces back and incomes go back up and jobs come back, then I, I expect people will go back to watching and paying to watch sports. Yeah, pretty pretty much as they did before. Although maybe there's a little more concern about going into a packed building, but we'll we'll see. But I, I really think the uh, the economy in general and, and how that bounces back is going to drive what happens with sports. Last one. Do you think? I mean, I, I guess you always try and take positives from any situation. You always hear coaches saying everything has to be a learning experience. Do you think in terms of sports business and sports economy, some safeguards will be learned through this pandemic in case of any other catastrophic life events coming down the pike in our lifetime? Yeah, I I mean, I think all of these are are learning situations. I know a couple things that I, or one thing, I I think there's going to be a much bigger emphasis on uh, sanitation and cleanliness and all of those things in the arenas no matter what happens I've, I've heard that there's some already some businesses that are working on uh, making arenas safe or at least safe sanitation wise um, you know maybe in general even before COVID that yeah, a packed arena is a good place to catch, a, catch the flu or cold or other things just by the nature of it so I, I expect there'll be uh, probably pretty major major changes on that that there'll there'll be more staff hire and all this thing to, to make sure arenas are literally cleaner and, and probably the ways they do concessions and all that I, I think that would be an outcome um i'm also curious to see what will happen on on ticketing uh you know we've got a pretty wide open secondary market uh teams have always wanted to have more control about who's actually there uh so they may through this be able to to Take more. I mean, there's already some move to that where the secondary markets are more in-house than they than they were with the partnerships between the teams and StubHub, et cetera. So that might that may, might become more prevalent coming out of this too. That the that the teams have more control over who actually has those tickets. There's more screening of people going in and all these apps with you know being able to track people's COVID and things. I think that could carry over into some. And I don't know if it's good, but some more serious tracking of people who's come where people are coming and going and who's actually in the arenas. I, I lied. You, I, I guess reporters can always think of one more question, but I really do have just one more here. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> oh, are the Islanders specifically, because they have, you know, this state-of-the-art new arena coming up, not, you know, for the 2021 season, but for the 21-22 season, uh, UBS Arena at Belmont Park, do you feel like the Islanders might be better situated financially coming out of this pandemic just because they do have a, a new arena on the horizon? Uh, I think 
I mean, a, a new arena is always an advantage just because, I mean, there's at least like a, a honeymoon effect where the fans are going to want to get out and see the new arena and uh, it will be in, you know, more amenities and nicer and all those things. So I, I definitely think that, that that would play in their favor, uh, the fact that they're moving into a new arena. And uh, uh, generally, when a new arena opens up, ticket prices are higher and fans are willing to pay pay that because the demand, demand to see the team in a new arena goes up. Um, now, you know, long run, it depends on the quality of the Islanders, but they, they play in a good a good market. Um, I, I mean, I think it's an advantage being in, in the metro of New York anywhere, the big, the larger cities where hockey is traditional and, and uh, um, are, 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 I think, probably in an, in an advantage compared to the Phoenixes and Nashville's yeah. of the world. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Although Nashville has become like the new New Orleans. You can't get a hotel room in that city That's anymore. True. Yeah. 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 I should, maybe shouldn't have picked on it. <laughs> when, when I think of a place where it's weird they have hockey, that, that always pops into my head. Yeah. Yeah. No, Barry Trotz tells stories about the first few, few years in Nashville where uh, he, he was literally teaching hockey 101 classes to the to the residents there so yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting if you didn't grow up in uh, in the well the north or the northeast or where I mean, people don't know much about hockey yeah 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 no i was just gonna say i, I appreciate you know all, all this time and your answers uh, this has been fantastic yeah thanks thanks for having me andrew uh, i appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit about sports and sport business yeah again i I appreciate all the time and uh you know stay safe and be well and uh thanks for uh you know thanks for chatting so i hope you enjoyed that chat i had with dr joel maxey a sports economist and the department head of sports business at drexel in philadelphia it was uh really good getting uh dr maxey's uh input and insight into a lot of the questions surrounding uh, the NHL's uh, finances and upcoming season whenever that actually hits the ice. And uh, speaking of questions, you guys had a bunch via Twitter, so uh, let's get to some Andrew's Answers. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. And the the, the first one is uh, frequent contributor to the Island Ice podcast, my Newsday teammate, Neil Best, who I believe uh, was probably in a good mood, and uh, I I believe this is a somewhat facetious question, maybe not, but uh, he wants to know, Neil does, why not eliminate the blue line and let guys goal hang? It could be fun. Well, yeah, it would certainly, it it would be a different game than than, uh, what's being played right now. That's for sure. It would uh, certainly open up the ice, which is something they tried to do when they took the red line out. But this is, uh, you know, now you're talking about no offsides or, you know, stuff like that. And again, I'm pretty sure Neil is being somewhat facetious here as, as something that this would not, happened uh the competition committee or the coaches association i mean you know every nhl coach preaches defense but i could i could see guys like uh you know john tortorella and barry trotz and and guys like that just you know turning red in the face if this was ever suggested to them i i I would i i would make one one little tweak to this if this was ever allowed um I, i would certainly say that goalies 
there should be no penalties on goalies. Uh, every goalie should turn into Billy Smith if guys were allowed to goal hang, and uh, goalies should should be allowed to use their sticks and whatever not in any fashion they saw fit <laughs> to to kind of even out the playing field. But uh, but again, uh, like I said, I think Neil was being a little uh, having a little bit of fun, but always good to hear hear from Neil. And uh, hopefully, when there is uh, some hockey to be played again, we can get Neil back on because uh, him and Colin really added a lot to the uh, podcast during uh, the postseason run. Um, Let's see. Uh, Ush says, do you think the upcoming expansion draft was any kind of factor in the Taze trade? Is it possible we would have lost one of the core defensemen to Seattle anyway? And, you know, uh, there's sort of two answers. Yes, I, I think, you know, the expansion draft and planning for it and maneuvering so you are exposing uh, the players you do want to expose and you know, you're going to lose somebody, so you're kind of manipulating your roster to, uh, to to plan for that is sort of part of every GM's thinking right now. Um, and, and if you're looking at the expansion draft, uh, you know, you're going to have to expose one, at least one defenseman under contract for 21-22 who has played, who played more than 40 NHL games in this upcoming season. And again, we don't know how long this upcoming season is going to be. So uh, 40 games may be a push for some people or 70 NHL games over, uh, you know, the past two seasons leading into the expansion draft. You know, teams have to uh, expose either seven forwards, three defensemen and a goalie or eight skaters and a goalie. Um, and also, you know, the, the players with injuries, you, you can't necessarily expose them. If a player um, has a potential career-ending injury or missed at least 60 games in the season going into the expansion draft, they are, they are not eligible to be put on your uh, exposed list. So, you know, looking, looking over the Islanders right now, um, you know, with the players they do have still on their roster, you're looking at Letty, Boychuk, Makefield as guys who the Islanders would have to protect. Um, and you would have to think if, you know, uh, if a Scott Mayfield or a Nick Letty were exposed, there, there might be a good chance uh, the Seattle Kraken might pick him up. Now, uh, you know, Thomas Hickey could be uh, a potential for the expansion list, but that presupposes he's going to play at least 40 NHL games in the upcoming season. Um, so I don't know about that. And then also uh, Adam Pellick is, is doing a new deal after this coming season. You know, and also guys with no movement clauses would have to waive that to be eligible for the expansion draft. So, you know, like I said, I think any every NHL uh, GM, not just Lou Lamarillo, is you know this this is part of every staff's planning right now. However, uh, going back to the original question, was the expansion draft any kind of factor in the Taze trade? Certainly not as much as the financial implications and knowing that they had to uh, shed some salary and Devontae's was the one drawing the most uh, attention out there and it was a move that Lou felt he had to make. So I, I certainly feel like the finances played a bigger role than uh, uh, the expansion draft in, in, in the Devontae's trade. Um, 
Co-host says, hey, Andrew, whatever happened to Tanner Fritz last season? And is he an option for a bottom six role if one of Martin and or Leo are not back? And, uh, you know, Tanner, uh, unfortunately, you know, he he almost had an opportunity to get a playoff chance for the Islanders, um, not this last season when they, you know, in the bubbles, but the previous season against the Penguins and the Hurricanes. But uh, Tanner, of course, uh, got injured and and could not be a part of that. And, you know, injury plagued again last season for Bridgeport in the AHL. Uh, He played four games for the Sound Tigers. Um, I think it was, you know, five games into the season. Uh, He suffers what the organization termed a lower body injury. Uh, and, and again, played just those four games for Bridgeport last season. Um, you know, if, if healthy, um, and I have gotten no indication that Tanner is not going to be ready whenever training camp uh, does open up, would, would, he, would he compete? Yeah, I mean, you, you see that the Islanders do have some trust in him, uh, Barry and Lou. Uh, and Chris Lamarillo certainly have some trust in him as a player. Uh, I'm just not sure that, you know, there will be that opening uh, for a bottom six role. But, you know, and, and, and this was uh, this was a long-range question, Corey from Yellowknife. And, uh, you know, Corey, thanks for checking in with that. Um, let's see, JC says, the fans don't like him. I do, and that's more of a blanket statement, but... But when I listen to NHL radio and even the broadcasters during the playoffs, they speak very highly of Josh Bailey. Is there a trade market without the Islanders, including a pick for some cap relief? Now, Josh Bailey, uh, you know, flipping through my notes here. Um, what has he got? He's on, on the dockets for $5 million per through 2024, and he's 31 years old right now. Um yeah, you know, he's the kind of guy with how slow and kind of how cramped uh, this market is in terms of teams shedding salary. Uh, I, I think he might be a guy that you, you would have to include a, a, a draft pick or a prospect with if you're looking to move him for some cap relief. That being said, um, Josh Bailey, I think, you know, a lot of teams would be very, very, very happy to have Josh Bailey on their team. He does contribute a lot. I agree that Josh, you know, takes a beating sometimes on social media. Um, as I've mentioned, it's kind of a weird dichotomy, you know, half the time the fans are singing for them and then half the time the fans are killing him on social media. But, you know, uh, he, he's not flashy, but uh, you, you've heard this from me before, and, uh, and you know, Josh Bailey detractors, or uh, I'm not going to change your opinion, but, uh, you know, you talk to Barry Trotz about him, and, and Barry talks about the subtle the subtleties in his game and the, the hockey IQ and, and the getting to the right spots. And I know the detractors are going to talk about the turnovers in the offensive zone, but, you know, that being said, like I said, uh, a lot of teams in the NHL would be more than thrilled to get Josh Bailey on their team. And that is, you know, of course, all things being equal and not facing a, a you know, a, a salary cap crunch because of COVID, where a 31-year-old guy making $5 million per through 24 uh, is probably not all that attractive uh, via trade. Um, 
See, KS asks, how much money is saved against the cap with LTIR or sending a player to Bridgeport? Letty, Leo, any buyout options? Um, look, uh, you know, if you're really, really interested in, in all the minutia on that, I can uh, I, I direct you to the capfriendly.com, which does a fantastic job explaining everything. Um, so... It, it, it's not all that simple with LTIR. It's not like say you know Andrew Ladd is in the is on LTIR, so you can spend the six million over the cap because of Andrew Ladd. Uh, not necessarily how it works. There's something called a CSL accruable cap space limit. Um, there are several different ways this can be calculated in the off season or in the regular season. The accruable cap space limit um, equals the team's salary cap upper limit, and again, this is going to be a flat salary cap at eighty one point five million. Uh, so you take that and you minus the team's cap space, and you get the ACSL, which is used to determine uh, you know how much LTIR relief you can get against the salary cap in in training camp. Just because you know they want to drive you know simple folk like me nuts who didn't do well in high school math in training camp acs uh, acsl is calculated or is equal to the team's salary cap hit minus uh, the ltir uh played uh, so say lad goes on ltir his salary cap so you get the team's cap hit minus the player's cap hit so you know, a bunch of different stuff. This is why teams actually hire capologists for this stuff or have a designated capologist to figure this all out because in reality, it might be, you know, harder to figure out than this country's uh, uh, tax rules and, and tax regulations. And I know our accountant, you know, has a hard time keeping up on a year-by-year -year basis. But uh, it, there, there, there are formulas or calculations to be done. I, I am no math whiz, so I'm just trying to muddle my way through it. But um, as far as sending, you know, one of these players down to Bridgeport or the AHL, again, it's not as simple. Of course not. Why would it be? It's not as simple as just subtracting that player's uh, salary cap hit from the team salary cap hit. You, you basically get a maximum cap relief, uh, regardless of what that player is 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 earning. So, say a player, you know, uh, is earning six million a year. Um, the cap relief you would get is that season's NHL minimum salary, and I believe it's uh, seven hundred thousand still uh, for this coming season. And then you get to add another 375000 to the minimum salary. So uh, regardless of what that player is making, you, you send one of these veterans down to the AHL and your uh, salary cap relief or, or, or what you subtract from that player's salary cap hit would be uh, 1075000 So $1.075 million is uh, the max there. Uh, on those players who do go down to Bridgeport. Um, as far as buyout options, um, the Islanders are a little hamstrung there uh, with the with the players they you would consider buyout candidates. They really just don't save enough, and they get hamstrung down the road. Um, you know, I'm sure everyone's 
thinking about, like you said, Andrew Ladd, Leo, I, I know people talked about Johnny Boychuk. It just um, financially doesn't make enough sense uh, for the Islanders. Um, there is a second buyout window now that, uh, you know, uh, there have been some arbitration hearings scheduled, but uh, I, 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 I don't think at this point the Islanders are going to go that route. Um, JC again says, so we've made no signings and no trades at this point. And I do believe uh, Devontae's counts as a trade. Uh, although you get back two second-round picks, so not adding to the roster. Uh, no signings. I mean, Lou is methodically going through the organization's RFAs uh, more on a minor league level, and they did bring in a guy like Austin Zarnak. But your your point is, is well taken, that there have been no seismic shifts in this roster other than losing Devontae's at this point. Not a lot, but there must be changes. There must be... Uh, be some uh, new blood skating next year. Will Trotz give any of the kids a chance? And yeah, I, I think that's why you have uh, you know those guys loaned out to Europe at this point. Uh, Simon Holmstrom, uh, Oliver Wallstrom, and uh, off the, I know one other just went over there, and I'm sorry uh, off the top of my head, it's another first rounder. But yeah, you know they they have uh, oh Otto Koivula is playing in Finland. Sorry, forgive me there. Um, so you got those three in Europe, and you know those three are getting valuable playing time over there. So I, I think you know. Uh, you know, Kiefer Bellows, and we know, unfortunately, you know, he had that performance-enhancing violation that the AHL says uh, all punishments have been satisfied. So Kiefer should be ready for the start of a training camp with the, with the Islanders as well. But, you know, those guys, yeah, Trotz certainly will give the kids a chance to make the team out of a training camp because you, you have to consistently you know, not only for salary cap reasons, but, you know, to to continually revitalize rosters and, and, and keep teams fresh, you do need, you know, the, the that young blood is uh, you're talking about uh, always constantly infused into the roster. Uh, you're going to see it with Noah Dobson. Um, Lou Lamarillo made that clear when, uh, you know, he announced the Devontae's trade. Um JC, uh, who's having a real good week here, also asks, while Lou may want to work forever, <laughs> I think you nailed that, that, that nail on the head. At some point, he won't. Is this job going to Chris Lamarillo? Um, and I certainly think there's a very good chance that that's how it does shake out uh, for the Islanders. Um, you know, Lou has sung his son's praises uh, in this offseason with how... Chris and Steve Pellegrini, uh, the other assistant GM, who Lou has known for years and years and years, dating as he has his son, of course. But, um, you know, Steve Pellegrini and Lou go way back to their devil's days together. But, um, you know, I I certainly get the feeling with Chris, uh, you know, running Bridgeport as well, that he's certainly being groomed for this job. And, you know, obviously ownership will have a huge say in that. Um, but no, it would not shock me if whenever Lou does want to step away and, you know, maybe Lou stepping away is just becoming team president and, and naming his son GM. I I could certainly see that happening over the next, you know, few seasons. Um, 
Let's see. Uh, Mike T says, Andrew, how long do you think it will take to get the bulk of the roster finalized for the upcoming season? Will that happen soon or will it run up to the start of camp? And uh, Mike, uh, thank you for your question. I certainly feel like this is going to be a long, drawn out uh, off season. It's certainly shaping up that way. Once uh, the free agent market, uh, you know, it's kind of drips and drabs here. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think things will become clearer once, uh, you know, the RFA arbitration hearings come and go. Um, you know, Ryan Pulak uh, in on that. Josh Hosang, uh, Devontae's obviously traded away. But, uh, you know, uh, once the Islanders get through that, uh, there'll, there'll certainly be some more clarity. And, I, I, you know, I, I sort of think Ryan Pulak will get done. Uh, before his arbitration hearing, um, which I believe is November 6th. Um, but then you're looking at, you know, how long is it going to go with Matthew Barzell? And, uh, you know, I, I, I certainly feel the holdup here is, you know, Lou is trying to create as much space as possible before being able to sign Matthew Barzell. So, yeah, I, I think uh, I, it's it's going to take a while to get the bulk of the roster sort of finalized. Um Benny Whosoever says, given Alex Ovechkin's relationship with Barry Trotz and the Islanders' need for scoring, have you heard any rumors about Alex Ovechkin not re-signing with Washington? I had a dream that he signed with the Islanders. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I have not, I, I don't know where the Caps and OV are. Uh, I know his contract's coming up. Um I, I certainly think that, you know, I, I know the Capitals just let Braden Holpe go, but I, I sort of feel like uh, uh, Alex Ovechkin will, will will complete his NHL career with the Washington Capitals. I've not heard any rumors uh, along those ways. I Just given what OV is going to make, you know, even at a, a reduced cap hit, I, I don't see him fitting in with the Islanders. And you're, you're right, you know, Ovi and Barry Trotz do have a special relationship. And I think Barry would take Ovi in a heartbeat. But, uh, you know, business-wise, I, I don't see that happen. Um, let's see. Um, Will Forthman says, now that Devontae's and potentially Johnny Boychuk being moved, has the longest tenured Islanders defenseman, that would be Thomas Hickey, played his last game as an Islander, or will he have a shot at cracking the roster? Well, he had a, you know, a quote-unquote shot last training camp, and, uh, you know, uh, unless Lou can move him in a deal, I, I think he'll come to training camp as, you know, uh, a guy, you know, that, I don't know if he's going to make the top six, but I, I think he would be a great candidate. And and this is me assuming that at some point Andy Green is going to re-sign with the Islanders. And if that's the case, and, you know, Boychuk stays, you know, Boychuk Letty, Pelik Pulak, Green, Dobson. Um, you got Scott Mayfield in there as well. Um you know, I think Thomas Hickey is is a depth guy. Um, but if you're talking about Boychuk being gone, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I think, I, I certainly think the Islanders could go into the season with Thomas Hickey being a, a strong candidate as a, a seventh D-man. Um, so, 
let's see. Um, Brian G says, how does the Islanders roster improve when you trade away players that play important roles? The Islanders power play is already bad. So how do you trade the second best uh, power play demand? Uh, don't get it. And, you know, Brian, uh, I understand, you know, the obvious frustration uh, that you're feeling here, but you almost have to separate it. There's what you got on the ice and there's the business model and moves more so are being made this offseason because of the business model, or at least that's been the case so far. And yeah, you know, you're right about the Islanders power play. It wasn't exactly a uh, well-oiled machine, especially through the postseason. And Taze, you know, Taze did play a part. You still got Letty, who can play on the power play, and you got Ryan Pulak there. So, uh, you know, you, depending on how many defensemen you're going to use on, on the power play, you know, I think Noah Dobson gets, you know, put into that mix as well. So you, you got three defensemen, which I, I think really is all Barry you know, would use at maximum because he uh, he does like the, uh, you know, four forwards, one D, D-man uh, model as well on the power play. Um, but you're right, you know, as of right now, the Islanders roster has not improved. Um, you took away a player. Uh, let, let's see what happens between now and uh, the first puck drop. Uh, again, you got to separate it. Um, there are moves that are being made purely because of dollars and cents right now. Um, JC, back with one last question. Why does Anders Lee never have his mouthpiece in his mouth? Uh, got to be honest, never asked him. Uh, sorry, don't have a, uh, better, better answer. Maybe it's just his gleaming smile deflects pucks. You know, he's got such a bright smile that, you know, pucks just shy away from it. Uh, I'll go with that. Um, let's see. Um, it's, it's either smiley face or it's that, you know, semicolon with the parenthesis to look like a winky smiley face. Uh, anyway, uh, Twitter tag Ima Jonesing says, if Lou was able to make the Lad Parisi trade at the deadline, would Lee be the one, and that be Anders Lee, be the one raising the cup? Islanders needed timely scoring against Philadelphia and Tampa, and Parisi could have been the difference maker. Um, I, I agree that Parisi would have added scoring to this team. Um, I don't think he would have, and this is no disrespect for Zach, who I have a ton of respect for, got to know when he was with the Devils, and I know how Lou feels about Zach. Um, I don't think he would have been the difference maker between the Islanders raising the cup or not. I, I, I just, I, I know what you're getting at, you know, a few extra goals here and there. Um, I, I, I I, I don't see that as being the only difference maker. And then, you know, and then you've got his contract as well, which is not a really good one. And, you know, I, I think, I, you know, I, I think the Islanders will probably be better off for having not made that trade. Honestly, I do. Um, you know, you can deal with Andrew Ladd, but, you know, Zach Parisi is, you know, he was going to need to play uh, for a long time. Um, you know, so anyway, um, the last one is from Mr. Charlie, who says, I'm getting nervous about uh, Barzell, uh, you know, what the heck. Um, and again, you know, I, I know this is a tough, tough sell right now. Um, patience, 
you know, uh, because he doesn't have arbitration rights. Lou can take his time with Matthew Barzell. There have probably been some, you know, pretty decent back and forth between the sides. I'm sure Lou has explained exactly what he needs to get done. Um, you know, I'm sure Matthew Barzell's side, you know, would love to see an offer sheet come in. Uh, you heard uh, Brian Lawton on a, a, on a podcast saying he didn't think uh, that was a real possibility uh, so far, uh, you know, we haven't seen any offer sheets. So, uh, you know, I, I know why you're getting nervous about them, but like I say, this is going to be sort of a slog of an off season and you just got to bear with it. And, uh, you know, as Lou says, when you have time, you use it. And uh, right now, Lou does have some time without Barzi having arbitration rights to, to get this done. So uh, I'm sure Lou is, you know, trying to... Uh, uh, you know, make the landscape as positive as possible for the Islanders and trying to uh, free up some cap space. Um, and I'm sure on Barzi's side, you know, they're probably waiting to see how much cap space the Islanders can free up so they can, uh, you know, ask, you know, ask for the moon and then, or was it ask for the stars, accept the moon, something like that. I don't know, something, you know, space-like. But anyway... Uh, so those are your questions. Those were my answers. And that was this, uh, this episode of the Island Ice podcast. I, I certainly appreciate you uh, taking the ride with us. And uh, we'll be back. Um, there, there will be more off-season news. We will be back to cover all of it. And uh, uh, I'm your host, Andrew Gross. Uh, please go to Twitter and uh, give me a follow at A Gross Newsday. Please follow uh, Newsday Sports on Twitter at Newsday Sports. Um, you can go to our website, newsday.com backslash sports, find all our uh, hockey coverage there, all our coverage there. Um, you can find all the back episodes of the Island Dice podcast. And also, please find and subscribe and rate and like and give me smiley faces and positive affirmations so I, I, I don't feel bad about myself. And uh, until the next time, be safe, everyone. Stay well. And happy hockey.